This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm Ross Cochran. You know who you are. Thank you for being here. I am thrilled that you are checking out today's episode because today we have David Kinneman. David is the president of the Barnum Group, and uh, he's the author of numerous books. Uh, David, I became familiar with your work via Faith for Exiles, and uh, actually also the Church Pulse Week, the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast easy for me to say. Uh, So just out of real baseline, man, thank you for being here and thank you for your ministry. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to meet you, Ross. Yeah, it's a fun part about my gig. I get to be fans of people and then immediately start asking them deeply probing personal questions. So I'm excited to get into it. Um, I want to start with you on kind of a macro level because you and Mark Matlock and some of your, your team at the Barnard Group, I really feel Like we're sort of leading the way in terms of researching the faith associated with Gen Z. Obviously, us here at Awana, that's we're really focused on that kind of research and what's happening in the younger generation of the faith. And I think there's a temptation that I'm hoping you can speak to of assuming things are going to work out Mm. because the church has always worked out. The church has always survived. And for us older generations, we I think sometimes it can, we can look at the issues that that generation is facing and think, yeah, but they'll age out of it, or it's just a phase or that kind of thing. Can you speak to, at least from my perspective, not to give you a biased lead in, but can you speak to the urgency of this moment for the younger generation of faith and how you've seen some of the data of this generation being different than older generations? Well, the church is woefully unprepared for (laughs) generation Z. So how about that as a starter? There you go. Thanks for the episode title. Uh, I think there's an opportunity for um, us to really immerse ourselves in some of this cultural change and understand the different mindset that this generation has and then what that's going to require of us to uh, sort of think and act differently than we have in the past in terms of our ministry uh, opportunities. We know that um, you know majority of young people who grow up as Christians will end up leaving either their faith or an active relationship with the church. And those are two very different kind of spiritual journeys because, because the more common of those is people that lapse in their faith. We call them nomads. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they lapse in their faith and faith practice. They don't lapse in their faith. And so, so um, prodigals are those who sort of walk away from faith. And um, we, we've done quite a bit of study over the last decade, uh, decade plus on what we call the you lost me journeys. And, and then, you know, faith for exiles is actually really a book about the most resilient of, of young people who stay connected and who, who really grow in their faith. Um, but yeah, the urgency is such a, a, an important topic. And, um, of course, of course, of course, there are things that are life stage that sometimes the older you get or having children of your own or having Mm -hmm. a, uh, a great Mm -hmm. loss or a great tragedy or great kind of like crossroads of life, uh, bankruptcy or an imprisonment or, you know, some other kind of tragedy that people often sort of like, there's a light bulb that, that clicks on and, and they, they sort of literally repent and change their direction. But, um, I think this, this cultural, um, setting that we're living in is, is very antithetical to faith. It, it probably has been in many ways for many, many decades, but, um, I don't know, I was reading a, a social researcher who had this great you know, description, he said, sort of like the exceptionalism of American Christianity, which is around this idea that, that, you know, America is stands alone as far as its affluence and its level of religiosity. So, you mm-hmm. know, in most, in most developed countries, the more educated, the more affluent, the less religious people are, but America stands alone. It's called American exceptionalism when it comes to, to that 
particular part of the sociological spectrum. But he said American exceptionalism, when it comes to sort of Christianity and, and faith practice, like RIP, RIP. And, um, and so I think it's really important for us to, to recognize, of course, there are some things that um, continue to be, you know, incredible bright spots about faith in, in North America um, and, and, you know, around the world in Western, in Western society, there's still, you know, sort of tens of millions of people who are devout Christians and then they're in their teens, they're in their, they're in their right. childhood years, or they're in their young adult years. Um, but I think they're, they're standing in stark contrast to a, a generation, a generation Z, some are calling it the next generation, generation alpha, um, they're standing in stark contrast to an increasingly secular, um, secularly minded, um, sort of a, a whole set of worldview perspectives that are very, very different than what I think the, the basic, uh, the, the basic context was for boomers when they were growing right. up. Right. So I think the urgency, we couldn't under, we couldn't overstate it. Yeah. And I think it's also important for people, if you haven't read Faith or Exiles, I highly recommend it. And it'll be linked, uh, the easiest way for you to get it in the show notes today of wherever you're listening. But I think one of the things that stands out to me about the research that you guys have done, not only in that book, but just in general with this generation is, um, quite frankly, the depth. I think what I see in the research matches what we here at Awana try to talk about in terms of recognizing that there is no sort of junior Holy Spirit that when a child accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they are now a brother and sister in Christ, and that's equal. And I see the humanity in your research. You talk about this phrase of screens disciple in Faith or Exiles. And I think for older generations, there can be this place of sort of just frustration by the level of investment that their child or a child in their community might have in their screens. But it's reflected in the research, and I'm sure you can speak to this just as a parent as well, that there is a different world that these kids are experiencing through their screens and it is doing a different thing to them than even it's doing to us to a certain degree. Can you speak to how a leader best navigates that kind of tension, knowing that it is a bit of they're growing up on Venus and we grew up on Mars kind of situation? Yeah, I'd be happy to. There's so many ways my brain is, is sort of thinking about responding to that. One is uh, when we've used the phrase screens disciple, I mean, it's really uh, the weight of uh, tens of thousands of research studies mm-hmm. that we've uh, tens of thousands of interviews we've done and hundreds of research studies, um, looking at the power of what I call digital Babylon. Right. Um, and that's if, if, you know, use the, the Venus and Mars, it's really, I think sort of Babylon and Jerusalem that previous generations, even having gone through the sixties, there was of course, great cultural turmoil, but there was still this, it was really the beginning of the fall of, of, uh, sort of a, public Christianity and it's take that takes many decades for that to unravel. And now we're kind of officially or unofficially in what I would describe as more of a Babylon like context, which is, which is at the heart of what we call it faith for exiles is these young people are sort of digital exiles trying to live out their faith in, but not of the world as, as Jesus uh, says is the sort of the great tension of, of, of all life as a Christian, but especially modern life. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's why at the very beginning I said there's great urgency and also why I think there's a great responsibility for us as Christian leaders to think and rethink our, our methods and models and approaches um, because, um, you know, ultimately each individual is responsible for his or her faith and faith, you know, sort of d- determination. But Jesus also says, and it seems to me in the scriptures, there are these, these windows into the responsibility that we have as teachers and educators and guides, you know, it would be better for a millstone to be put around your neck. Than for you to mislead one of these, uh, you know, you know, one of these people 
mm-hmm. which isn't just about content, like the orthodoxy of our content, uh, but also perhaps about the structure of our discipleship, what we what yeah. we think is important and what we are willing to to to, to invest in the life of, of young people. And um, and so, you, you know, I, I think there is um, uh, this is really at the heart of something I've been really thinking about and, and trying to write for a while is like God's nature doesn't change. Human nature doesn't change. The path of being discipled is a lifelong one. Um, screens disciple, they're discipling young people and, and older adults as well. Um, you know, like Fox news and CNN are also right. discipling a whole generation of older, older Christians, um, in the same way that TikTok and, and, you know, Instagram and other mm-hmm. platforms are discipling young people or, or a preponderance of young people. And so, you know, I actually think there's this, this sense in which, you know, if you look at the, the philosophy of technology or the philosophy of, of big media, um, you know, that we're living in this really interesting time where, um, I I wrote this down yesterday, I'm going to be writing about it more, but, but there's a secular religion that Mm. is putting instruments in place so that we fully adopt that faith of kind of, you know, it can have a spiritualism, it can have Eastern mysticism, it can have a sense of, you know, of, of wonder and mystery, but, but, you know, the algorithms and the world we're living in, um, whether from the right or from the left or in, in any kind of fashion, there's these, these ways in which we're kind of orienting our lives towards what counts t- for, for a life well lived. Hmm. And, um, scripture is always at odds, uh, with the cultural prevailing values and says that the things that you think are so important are probably not as important as you imagine. And so I think this is the importance for us, you know, sort of living a faithful life in exile is to, to come up with these sort of countercultural ways of life so that the, the forces of sort of secularization of sort of life without God uh, can, uh, can be put to the side, or at least again, the in, but not of mandate, right. uh, we can, we can live fully into that, um, that possibility and that, and that um, great, great hope-filled life in Jesus. Yeah. Well, what's interesting to me about that, um, and I'd love for you to read that. Just, I know it's, it's barely a quote at the moment, but I'd love for you to read that again, because what's interesting to me about that is it actually cuts against some of what my framing of that question was, because I think it speaks to uh, a recognition for adults, for us adults to recognize the ways that we, screens have already discipled us. Right. And it becomes a level of it's the water and we stop noticing it. And it requires us to be aware of it, how it matters and to, how it seeped into our own lives. And therefore, how what behaviors we're modeling for our children. But would you mind just reading that quote again? Because I'm going to be thinking about it all day. Yeah, that that secular religion, the secular forces of of technology and media and sort of uh, life without God. That life is is can can be lived with God or can be probably better without God. That secular religion is putting instruments in place so that we fully adopt that mantra, that faith, that that perspective. And I think that. That goes to, um, I'm not really much of a conspiracy theorist because I believe that it's so hard to get anyone to do one thing anyway, but, but I do think there is, <clears throat> I mean, like I could barely get my, f- my four people in my family to do mm-hmm. something for dinner, much less to have like a whole society that agrees with, with, you know, some sort of perspective. But I, but I do yeah. believe that, um, you know, there is this, this, this great, moment that we sit at after the enlightenment and after, you know, a century of what seemed like progress, but really, you know, the, 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 the 20th century, you know, from 1900 to 2000 and world war one, uh, and world war two and, and elements of the cold war and nu- nuclear weapons and, 
um, all of the things that, you know, terrorism, all the forces right. of globalization and nationalization. And then, um, you know, so it's a fascinating story when you look at that. And then, and then where do we find ourselves today as, as it pertains to end times? Like, you know, I mean, no one can predict the, the day or the hour, but Jesus is coming again. And um, this great, this great, you know, sort of vision of life in the world, but not of the world, mm-hmm. um, you know, is such a compelling vision for me of what does that really look like? And, um, and so, you know, it's like, I don't believe in a conspiracy about secularism generally, but I, or, 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 or uh, I should say, I don't think there's these, um, you know, uh, dark rooms where people are yeah. smoking cigars or, and making or, the decisions. Yeah. Right. But I do think there's this, this idea of, you know, humankind, it goes back to the tower of Babel. We, we, we mm-hmm. want to believe we can really do and control the, our destiny as, 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 you know, the, the most, elegant and brilliant creatures on earth. We can figure this out and we can use science and technology, uh, to, to develop a better, more utopian, more just society. Mm -hmm. And, um, all that seems to fall flat. All that seems to sort of like have as much progress as we've made and how much life is really for for most human beings or for many human beings on the planet better today than it was a hundred years ago. Uh, it is still a, uh, an existence fraught with tremendous challenges and so anyway, all this to say, I do think there's big tech media mm-hmm. and even, you know, again, I'm, I may step a little on, on some, some toes here, but when we talk about conservative media or left-leaning media, b- believe me, I've been in enough rooms with enough, <laughs> we're located here in Los Angeles. We, we've done some consulting with, you know, sure. some of the big entertainment companies and such. They, they really only care about profits. They only care about eyeballs. They only care about, you know, quarterly results. Uh, that's its own kind of um, you know, idol of our age. And yeah. so when we think about what it means, uh, to try to help this next generation sort of live in, but not of the world, that is such an incredible task. And I mean, just for me personally, it's like, it's what I devote my whole life to is using mm-hmm. bar to try to help, help, uh, help a generation sort of live in, but not of the world. And then what does that look like? And how can we, you know, love Jesus and, and, you know, honor and respect, uh, the, 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 the context and the culture in which we're placed, but also not sort of buy into the same idols and idolatry that we're fed. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. This is your last chance. Kind of. We won't have any more podcast episodes before the child discipleship forum. So Even though you're going to hear more about it in the second part of this conversation with David, I want to make sure that you know that today is the day to save your seat. Go to childdiscipleshipforum.com. If you're driving right now, keep driving, stay safe, but the link is in the show notes. We want you there. This conversation matters because your ministry matters. Thank you for listening. I'll see you at the forum. I'm curious how what you just described, the secular forces, how that relates to the people group that you define as the nomads in Faith or Exiles. Because one of the things that I, at least what keeps me, me up at night about the discipleship for my own kids is the recognition of the need to make, as John Tyson would say, Jesus as beautiful as possible to um, rise above the tremendous amount of other forces and the sort of noise and there's yeah. so much more noise are is the group of nomads which i would love for you to define for folks who haven't read the book 
being pulled away or being nomadic to, uh, I guess, <laughs> really hit it on the nose because there are so many options or is it because there is a, the church itself doesn't feel as compelling as some of the other options that are pulling them out the door? Well, one of the framing, well, just quick, quick definition. So, you know, we have this sort of spectrum of faith that we describe in the project faith for exiles from resilient disciples representing about 10% of young people who grow up as Christians, only one in 10 become resilient, uh, as 18 to 29 year olds, another group called habitual churchgoers. I forget the exact percentage, but it's, you know, uh, uh, in, in the thirties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are individuals who are, um, you know, they're habitual churchgoers. They have many of the characteristics of practice as the, as the resilient disciples, but they're not, they're not fully bought in. And they're sort of like, they have one hand on the door on the way out. And I actually think the pandemic is going to really disrupt a lot of that's probably that number is going to go way down because it's like, you know, it was really more of a, of a social or a, mm-hmm. a, a fam, set of family expectations, whatever. Nomads or individuals say, yeah, I'm still a Christian. I just really haven't been to church for a long time. It's really, they're, they're, they're just sort of like more cultural Christians. And then you've got a product, uh, prodigals who are like, yeah, I, I, it made sense to me at one time. It just doesn't anymore. That's about 22%. And when I did the, the study called you lost me uh, about 12 years ago, it was only 9%. So that has doubled uh, oh, the, wow. the percentage of prodigals has doubled. I actually find in my, this is so weird to say and, and sort of out loud, but I respect prodigals uh, and more than I do nomads uh, because at least they say, you know what, this doesn't make sense. There's intellectual reasons. There are sort of emotional reasons. They've often been hurt by the church. Um, they found yeah. a tribe of a tribe of people for whom life together makes more sense than with fellow Christians. Cause let's be honest, it's not easy to be, uh, you know, sort of around other, other Christians, especially when the worst sides of religion and self-righteousness and judgmentalism and hypocrisy become part of our calling cards. So prodigals are, 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 it's a heartbreaking, but also like, Hey, you know, respect, um, yeah. <laughs> like, and even, even Jesus says, I'd rather have you like hot or cold yes. than to be lukewarm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Whole separate podcast of me and you talking about that, but yes, yeah. I couldn't agree more. So um, so nomads are these individuals that are sort of somewhere in between, um, and habitual churchgoers are, you know, again, a great opportunity for the church to try to turn them into resilience. And, and frankly, in each of those four categories, there's things we can do as, as parents, as ministers of the gospel, as, as, uh, individuals who are trying to, 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 you know, move people, even resilient disciples is not there perfect. Like they need, they need help. They need support. They need opportunities. Uh, they don't want to just sit, you know, and be consumers of church. They want to be contributors. Mm-hmm. So lots and lots of opportunities that we have uh, to help support them. Um, I want to go back to one thing that that really uh, is a, a framing parable for me, which is when Jesus talks about, you know, the the parable of the soil and the, and the seed. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think my contribution, not to, not to Jesus' parable, but my my observation, I guess, as a social researcher now for twenty five years is that what's happening is that the soil around us is hardening, mm. uh, our, our cultural, there's more distractions. There's more alternative ways of explaining the reality of life that, as we know it, um, um, you know, and, and again, I think so many of the great benefits of religion over centuries, um, public health and hospitals and education and caring for the poor and needy. Um, even, even in some ways, the sense of, of justice and, and yeah. r- racial justice and, and gender, um, um, 
you know, again, Christianity has often been on, on some, some of the wrong sides of those things, but it's, it's also been at the heart of most of the reformation or reforming spirit to try to make the world, you know, bring heaven a little closer to earth, not in Mm -hmm. a utopian way, but in a, in a, like, what's the, what's, what is our mandate to care for creation and to care for justice and to, 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 to be salt and light in the world. Um, and so I just think there's a, there's a, a variety of factors, um, you know, another project I worked on with my friend Gabe Lyons called good faith. It was how to be Christian when society thinks you're irrelevant and extreme. And, um, you know, irrelevance is one of these things that for hundreds of years since the enlightenment, and since we've had, you know, sort of rational ways of explaining, you know, sickness and disease and death and, you know, climate and weather, you know, like in the old days, people, were like, yeah. it must be the gods who are angry. Right. Um, which was a great movie, by the way, the gods must be angry, but, um, that's <laughs> I'll link to that in the show notes too. That's perfect. Um, but now we have these scientific ways of explaining things that are, you know, perfectly logical and some mm-hmm. things we, we, most, most people could get on board with. And then there's still the flat earthers. Right. <laughs> and, um, and so uh, here we have this opportunity, I think, to sort of like give people a framework for understanding what it means to be Christian. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm just like, compelled with the notion that we have an opportunity now, not just to look back and sort of look at all the, you know, uh, look at all the, the trophies and awards and ways that we've made society better. What drives me, uh, this in, but not of mandate is really now about like, what could Christianity's future look like and how yeah. could it contribute in meaningful ways to healthy communities, healthy mental health. Um, and, and of course, at the basis, there is the, is the, is the salvation and repentance of people at their, at their, at the heart level, at a soul level. Um, and child discipleship, it turns out is part of the essential way we could do that, yeah. um, by, by helping people to understand the truth of scripture, how it provides a countercultural narrative to the, the spirit of the age, how it tells us something about, you know, the, the, the spirit of Babel, the, 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 uh, the, the allure of Babylon, the, yeah. uh, the way in which, life can be lived sort of for your own hedonistic pleasure or for, you know, just that next great Instagram post. Mm-hmm. And, uh, instead I believe there's just such a, a powerful, uh, way that we can find ourselves in the story that, um, that just, it's almost overwhelming to me to imagine how Christianity, it isn't reinventing it. It's simply, it's simply helping it orient towards a new and better future, which, yeah. which is a part of what, you know, what the gospel does but in Isaiah 43, 19, behold, I'm doing a new thing you know, do you not perceive it? Uh, and so there's this, this great opportunity, I think that God puts at the heart of, of humanity to sort of co-create with him, uh, what yeah. this, what this faith is going to, uh, mean in terms of not what the faith does, how it is. Jesus was, was, was crucified. Jesus was resurrected and Jesus is coming again. That is the essential truth that holds all Christians together. We're not reinventing any aspect of that story, but we are helping to, to interpret what being in, but not of mm-hmm. will, will require of us as Christians in the coming, in the coming years and in the coming decades. Yeah. Whew. All right. Well, I, I said before I'll be thinking about all day, but I'm going to be thinking about all that stuff all day. And I love the metaphor of the soil itself is hardening because I think that to where we started the conversation that also speaks to sometimes the the generational gap that folks feel because Mm -hmm. there is all this external uh, hardening soil that is making those connections that used to feel easier, much harder to navigate. Mm -hmm. Now there was so much hope that you just laid out and I want to lean into uh, 
child discipleship, you must co-host a podcast because you're very good at uh, transitions. Um, <laughs> because you are one of the inaugural fac- faculty members for the 2021 Child Discipleship Forum. And in your book, you talk about uh, resilience. You talk about this group uh, that is, despite the fact that they are small, they are uh, radically invested in their faith and the future of the faith, as we like to say around here. I'm going to start actually, though, with more of a, a bit of a question about the pessimism that can sometimes come from the data, and then we're going to end on a more hopeful place. So if, you're, if, if you think you're going to turn off the podcast during the pessimistic part, please don't. Because I think one of the reasons that I'm not a social researcher is one, I never would have gotten the grade smart enough to actually be able to follow through on that work. But less importantly, I feel like sometimes when I look at data, that especially data that comes from y'all, I, it becomes overwhelming. And I'm curious, you know, it can sometimes feel discouraging. And when I think about the folks who listen to this podcast, there are local leaders in their communities working with kids very much on the ground who may sometimes feel discouraged about is what I'm doing actually working? Does it matter? Those kinds of questions. You are someone who is deeply studied when we get this right, when the, what child deception looks like when we get this right. What gives you hope about the future of the faith when there's so much noise and so many voices saying, let's just pack it up. It's done. Hopefully the rapture happens on Tuesday. Yeah, fair. I think I was, uh, I've been more and more convinced that, um, this reality of Jesus return is something we have to to talk more about. Mm. Um, and, uh, and this, this prayer of Lord come quickly, um, you know, looking, uh, we're recording this here during, you know, some of the, the challenges in Afghanistan and right in the, uh, right in the throes of, of Haiti. And those are just ones that we've had. Those are just tragedies we've had sort of broadcast on our social media, but, but there are tragedies, uh, around the world and even in our, in our streets, in our homes every day, um, right. COVID, COVID being one of them, you know, sort of this, this slow rollout of a global tragedy. And, um, so I, I think an answer you're asking about hope and I'm, I'm sort of going through the parade of horribles that we're seeing <laughs> partly because this gets to, to one of my philosophies of hope, um, which is that you have to really understand the brutal reality of the human condition in order to have a proper understanding of what hope really means for us. Mm. And, uh, it, it comes a little bit from the Jim Collins, uh, what he calls the Stockdale principle, where it's sort of Stockdale was a prisoner of war who, you know, was, it was, um, uh, eventually released. And it was like this brutal reality of like, I am a prisoner of war, brutal reality of the present condition, but anchored to a, a, a vision of a preferable future. Mm. And so hope when you're at Disneyland for the day is, uh, and, and all of the things around you sort of fade, they, they, you know, sort of intentionally keep you in a particular land. Like you can't see outside of, you know, frontier land to another, sure. to another, you're, you're sort of literally like in this little model railroad where all your view sight, sight lines are, are obstructed so that you're fully immersed in this, in this reality. So I'd say first is that, that my, my view of hope is that it has to be firmly anchored to this sense of people are dying today from COVID people are, uh, learning diagnoses about cancer. People are, are begging military, uh, leaders in Afghanistan to be on those refugee planes. Um, people are in in great fear today, uh, for their daughters, uh, or as a, 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 a woman in Afghanistan for their, for their safety, um, and, or as a Christian. And so, Mm -hmm. 
when we begin to understand the stakes, the urgency, uh, and then we begin to understand like, what does it mean for us to be called on mission with Jesus in a world that is breaking? And uh, my firm belief is that, you know, Christians in North America, young Christians, we just haven't given them a vision of, of how much their, uh, the faith, the Jesus that resides in them, um, you know, Colossians one talks about that the, the Lord, that Jesus is, is supreme over all creation, that he holds all creation together. And I've been meditating on that verse the last 24, 48 hours that in the light of all that is breaking and my heart that is breaking, what would it mean for us to truly understand that Jesus is at the center, uh, that he ho- holds, uh, creation together, that his work on the cross is somehow sufficient in light of all that, that you see. And so that's, like we, we, you know, when I've interviewed, so not, you know, more than a hundred thousand cl- close now to a 200,000 millennials in Gen Z, um, mm-hmm. not per, not personally, but just as a company and, and as yeah. represent representative of our work and, and the books that I've written. And I can just say that like my heart breaks because we haven't given this generation a large enough view of the brutal reality of the present condition and how we can really actually understand that through the lens of scripture, like scripture, mm-hmm makes so much sense because Ecclesiastes, for example, talks about the, the, the brutal reality of ambition gone awry. Um, you know, the, 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 the horrible stories of, of the old Testament or the, the challenges. I mean, I've just been reading, reading, especially second Corinthians this season in my life, but like the brutal psychological battle that, that Paul has to fight in his own mind about his relationships and his desire to see these, these early churches thriving, and the brutal reality, like the more we can understand that, the more we can understand the hope that is offered to us and in us and through us through the resurrection of Jesus. So my heart breaks for these young people who are, who are prodigals, who are, who are nomads, who are habitual churchgoers, or even in, in certain cases for resilient disciples, where we've sold them a vision of the gospel, a vision of Christianity that is around, you know, uh, nice Christian, you know, sort of. <laughs> stay away from premarital sex, which yeah. is not a bad idea, but like, you know, what does it mean to really live in the reality of this? So that to me is like, you know, again, part of what I feel like this is like, you know, what is Dave's life mission podcast, but, yeah, but, no, in, but, in, but not, in, but not of how is it that we can tell this sort of like great story of Christianity for the future, better words, better phrases, better language, better understanding of how this rich theology actually connects to our future. And, and, and then another piece of this is like, how can we be really honest about what it is we're experiencing because the brutal reality of this present condition, um, I mean, we're sitting here in the, the safety of our homes and doing podcasts, but you know, like today people are, are hearing, you know, they're, they're facing life and death. They're facing mental health challenges. They're facing, you know, um, friends or family who has COVID and who's on, mm-hmm. you know, life support or whatever. And so like, but, but, but Christianity, Christianity has an answer to that. Christianity has an answer to the, all of these questions that I think plague the human, the human condition. And we just have the great opportunity to partner with Jesus in, uh, in helping to, to, to turn a whole generation alive to that, to that reality. And, uh, that, that gets me so excited. The Resilient Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. 
Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album, Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk next week.